welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, this series that we've been in is a missional series. We're talking about life beyond the walls of this campus. We're talking about being people who are living in our jobs, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, with kind of a sense of being sent people, people that God has sent out to be his ambassadors, to live out faith, to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom through our lives, through our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And how do we do that as people? It's easy to talk about, but it's not real easy sometimes to actually do it. So throughout this series, we are having people who are trying some things, experimenting with living on mission in their neighborhood. I mentioned about a year ago that Sean Young, many of you know Sean, has joined us in kind of a staff role to help facilitate this and lead this and develop and equip people who are interested in living on mission. And he's been doing amazing work with a group of people who are grappling with these things. And so we want to keep funneling these stories back to you of people who are giving this a shot and seeking to to follow God's lead in their particular Space. So we're going to hear today from Phil and Amy Allstott. Sean's going to interview them. So as Sean and Amy and Phil come, why don't you give them a warm welcome. So we'll jump right in. Um, Amy and Phil, you moved to Walnut Grove just about a year ago. And, um, and yet you still kind of connect with us here at Oak Hills and drive the hour drive every... <laughs> Sunday. Um, can you, it, it seems to me that uh, when you moved there, you went with a sense that uh, this isn't just hu- your human choices to move into a community, that God was somehow part of this move and that there are reasons why God has you there and why he's sending you there. So that's, that feeling of sentness was there from the beginning. But uh, it seems like you've been looking around your community with spiritual eyes, you're asking yourselves, how does God see this place and these people? So what are some of the things that you've been learning about your immediate community? Sorry, um, could tickle on my throat. Um, Walnut Grove is um, spread across two sides of the Delta River. And, um, so there is a one side that is mostly, um, rich white people. And then there's our side who is kind of the, um, very evident lower class. Um, there's a mixture of, um, Latin population on our side of the river that is, um, it's been voiced that they're not really wanted on the other side of the river. Um, there's a heavy, heavy, heavy population of women specifically. Um, and did I miss anything? (laughs) Uh, well, there's, there's also, um, the kids, you know, there's, uh, a group of, of young teenagers, um, preteens who kind of run around town, uh, they make a bit of a mess of the park, which is not, uh, it's, it's not a, a community-run park. It's owned by the Rotary, Cl- the Rotary Club. And so there's on limited, the the on the other side of the river, the, the wealthy side of the river. 
And uh, I think that the, the park, it seems, is in danger of, of no longer being funded if it's not kept up by, by us, you know? And you've shared a little bit about just like, it seems like the, the church in general in, in the city is struggling. And so uh, there is this sort of like the church is diminishing, waning, and uh, that opens up even more need for there to be uh, sacred spaces, the need for there to be a presence in the community where people can encounter Jesus and be part of a community that transforms us, right? So uh, what do you long to see happen in Walnut Grove? I would really love to see um, some cohesion of community there. Um, there's a lot of quiet distrust and gossip that happens um, and a lot of like subtle pointing of the fingers to those people being the problem. Um, I would love to see a cohesion of community that looks like people who appreciate one another, trust one another, go to one another and approach one another, one another fearlessly and with love and with the sweetness of Jesus. Um, I would love to see my entire street be the kind of street that people can go and knock on a neighbor's door and ask for a cup of sugar, even if they maybe don't speak the same language all the way. Um, what are some of the things that you guys have done just as first steps to build trust with people? I talk to people. <laughs> I walk around and I talk to people and um, I do not engage in the gossip. I try to show empathy to both sides and redirect the conversation to the person who I'm talking to and my interest in them specifically. Um, yeah, I just talk to people, and it has resulted in me being someone who is a trustworthy person in the neighborhood that people can talk to. Um, we've been called Switzerland <laughs> in our neighborhood because we, <laughs> we Anybody don't. can come to you. You're yeah. the demilitarized zone. Yeah, you we're know. the safe place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Phil, you've done some stuff with kids. You've had your, uh, what's it called, a roller board or something, wheel uh, board? I have a, a, a one wheel. One wheel. I think some people heard the story of how I, I broke a few ribs the, <laughs> the first week that I owned the thing. It, yeah. It's fast. <clears throat> but, um, you know, one of the neighborhood kids who, um, I mean, all of the kids, I, I feel like we're, we're sort of painting a, an ugly picture of Walnut Grove because it is a really lovely place on both sides of the river. Yeah. And people are really kind. I think that um, some people are just kind of turning a blind eye to maybe some of the hate that they're holding on, on the inside. And that even is true about the kids. I think that because it's a quiet place, the parents allow the kids to just hang out at the park and, and do whatever they want, walk around. And they're not really causing trouble other than, uh, you know, writing dirty words on the playground. But one of the kids uh, opens up to us, and when, when we see him, he talks to us. He says, hi. Um, he comes from Los Angeles, and so he finds the, the, the small town a little bit boring. But he asked if I could teach him how to ride the one wheel, and uh, I really want to, to do that. At first, I was like, God, no, I'm not going to teach this kid how to ride this thing. You know, I've got too much to do. 
But um, something is, is tugging on my heart to reach out to these kids and just let them know that, like, yeah, I want to hang out with you, too. You're cool. You guys are, you guys are, are good kids. Yeah. And uh, you have this really interesting house that it's like a, a historic landmark, even. It's been there for, like, 100 years, and uh, you're fixing it up, and you even have uh, plans for uh, a used or, or vintage toy store in one part of it. And uh, say a, just a little bit about uh, what's the vision for that. Uh, yeah, um, you know, we have, Amy and I have always wanted to have, I don't know, you know like, a, like a small town <laughs> storefront has always really been attractive to us. And we're both artisans. We would like to do uh, restoring vintage toys ourselves, but also offer handmade items. But, you know, on the... On the other side of this, Amy has wanted some way to invite the families and especially the kids into our space um, to do something, even if it's just looking at the, the toys or playing games or, um, in the case of teaching them how to ride this, this one wheel. So it seems like those pieces are starting to fit together with the toy store in a way that I wasn't thinking of. You know, I just thought, like, cool, we could have a toy store. And also, I understand that you want to engage the kids, but they can kind of do the same thing. So it's like this toy store part of your house becomes a kind of a, a, an open front porch for people in the community to come in. You get to know them, and you're also uh, utilizing your abilities as artists. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just seems like all these pieces that God has given you are coming together in this idea. It's uh, true. Talk about the the uh, prayer box. There's a I took a picture of of your prayer box uh, right right I when I visited right before Halloween. So it's got eyeballs uh, it, attached to it. Um, that's not normal. They're not always watching. Yeah. So uh, why would you do this? Uh, well, we felt. Um we felt a strong presence in Walnut Grove when we first moved there. That was not a happy presence, I guess. Um, we wanted some way to um, mark our house as a place that belonged to Jesus, but not but as a way that would be a um, a point of community in the neighborhood where people could see that we want to welcome them in. I was a little bit weird about like, there's a sign hanging above it that says community prayer box. So people like know how it works. <laughs> um, but I, a friend of mine said, you know, I really think you should put like a, a statement outside of your house, like a flag or something that says this house belongs to God because there felt like there was a lot of sickness, spiritual sickness in, in the town. And so I said, you know what? I think Philip will have an idea. And so we brought it to Philip and he said, prayer box, I'll build a prayer box. So we put the prayer box out and our hope was that it would just be a sign to people that, um, of, of goodness, of sweetness there and hopefully safety. Um, yeah. But I think the important thing about it is that rather than like a keep out sign in the grass, it was a like, come and... Um, almost immediately, some neighbors who I've never met walked by, and 
just caught me outside, and they're like, hey, 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 we wanted to ask you about the box. So, like, you know, how do we use it? <laughs> just like, and I was like, deer in the headlights. I'm like, uh, I don't have an answer. Where's Amy? 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 <laughs> but, you know, just, I, you know, I just let them know there's no rules. If you uh, have something to pray about, put a note in the box. If you want to pray for the notes that are in the box, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just here to let you know that, uh, you know, that we're present, Jesus is present, and, you know, we care about you. And so now, now we're the house with the prayer box in front of it because it's that small of a town. People are like, "Oh, you guys are the ones with the house in front, the, with the prayer box in front, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's us." Like people, people know they recognize it. They know who we are. So you're becoming known in your immediate community as the safe space, the demilitarized zone, or the Switzerland, uh, and the prayer box people. And so people, you're outing yourself in a way. Like there's a bit of boldness and courage that it takes, I think, just to make yourself known as those people. It was scary. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Uh, (laughs) Like I was like, what what, is this gonna make people like? Kind of like hold us at a distance in some way. Um, Yeah, I wasn't sure how that was gonna work out. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to point out, with the exception of the prayer box, because that took effort to make it and the the idea i mean struck us and and that's interesting and all but 99 percent of what we did is be present and um i think that comes a little bit easier to amy than myself but even for myself just showing up even in the last week has led to being invited to the opposite side of the river for a men's breakfast and it, it was really nice. You know, everybody was really kind. I could tell that nobody has any ill intentions. Um, they just, you know, it, it was nice to just open up and be present with people. Yeah. And uh, what what I've learned from just getting to know you guys is actually there's a lot of little things that you do to build trust with folks and just build relationships so that um, they start to get a sense of who you are and why you're there. And so it's like everything from when you bake and invite people over or you invite people to use your kitchen with you to bake together and share food and you share meals with people. And so, like, there are a lot of little things you do. It's not rocket science, but it's just relational science. <laughs> and uh, But you are building trust in your community, the first steps of mission, right? That's so great. So uh, I would just like, we don't want to wrap up here. So um, I would like to ask us as a whole church just to affirm and recognize that God is at work. These might be just beginning steps and that's all fine. This is where it all begins. But God wants to do something in Walnut Grove through these people and through some other people that they're getting to know. Can we commission them? Can we agree with God and send them into their city to be, to establish a presence where God is known by more people. All right, let's pray for them. Jesus, we recognize you are at work and your spirit is at work in Phil and Amy. And um, we bless and celebrate the courage and the boldness that they've already shown in uh, following you and answering obediently to your prompting spirit. And we ask that you would you would bless their efforts and that you would open more people and more doors, literally more doors of houses to them as they get to know more people. And uh, would you establish a sacred 
place in Walnut Grove, in their community, maybe right in their house, where people gather and they, where you reveal yourself to them together as a, as a little community. And would you show yourself to them? Would you show them how strong and infinite your love is? And uh, Lord, would you make them a community that loves one another, reconciles with each other, submits to you, Lord Jesus, and uh, shares the kingdom with others in the community. We long to see that happen. We long to see your healing come to that city. Amen. And uh, Amy, you you mentioned that you, you feel like you kind of want to commission the rest of us to take our steps into God's will wherever we are planted. Would you do that for us just real quick? Um, we're not special. <laughs> um, and so I just felt like, um, yeah, I, Lord, and thank you for showing us what, um, being present looks like when you are present with us. Um, I thank you for every person in this room who has chosen you and maybe those who haven't. And Lord, for those whose hearts are turned towards you, I pray that our eyes would be open, that they would be present where you are to see how you are working, that it would not be uh, difficult to see that their eyes would be open and that they would feel an ease in bringing the sweetness of Jesus into their spaces and turn the hearts of those towards you who are not turned towards you to see how you are already working in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. If you could stand for our scripture reading. <clears throat> comes from Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read two different Sections from there, I'll start in verse 1, so 1 to 4, then 24 through 28. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Then over to verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him, the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What Philip and Amy were talking about is the essence of this entire series. There really doesn't need to be a whole lot more said. Obviously, there's particulars and details and nuances here or there. 
But what they were talking about is the essence of what this series is about. They live in Walnut Grove. It is highly unlikely, I would say, that anybody from Walnut Grove, except for Phil and Amy, are ever going to step foot in this church. That's a long haul. And yet, they are establishing a presence for the kingdom of God where they are, and we get to hear the story of what God is doing there. And Amy said it perfectly. I mean, I think they are special, but she says they're not special. But the point she means is, this is what all of us are not only able to do, but we're called to do in the spaces and in the places where we live, where we work, and where we interact. So I just want to affirm what they talked about. Sean's, you may or may not know this, but if something is churning in you like what has been churning in them, and you're thinking to yourself, who do I talk to about this? Where can I go with this kind of, I've got some ideas for my workplace or for my neighborhood. Sean leads uh, a group of people. They meet every other week. It's called a learning community. And it does just what it says it does. They get together, they have this conversation, like Amy and Phil just did, and they discern what God's doing in these various spaces together, and they seek to learn together how God might be on the move uh, in a missional way where, that, where people live, and together they share these things. So if that appeals to you, if that stirs up something in you, again, they meet every other week, right after the 11 o'clock service, lunch is provided, and this conversation is happening. You can find out about where, uh, where and when if you look on the app and go into the what's happening. You can find out by calling the church office. But if you're here today and something's stirring, I would not let Sean Young get out of the room before you have a chance to say, hey, when's the next meeting? I'd like to be a part of that. Earlier this week, Julie and I went to a friend's home for dinner, and it was a great night. Food was great. Conversation was meaningful and substantial. We shared a number of laughs, and it was just a fun night hanging out together in their home. Now, we could have met at a restaurant. That would have been fun, and I'm sure that would have been fine. We could have met here at the church. There's plenty of space inside. There's plenty of space outside. We could have grabbed delicious Subway sandwiches and met here at the church and had dinner together here at the church. We could have done that. I'm sure it would have been fun. But there was something uniquely meaningful about being invited into our friend's home for a meal. We've been there before. They have this thing called hospitality that Dave talked about last week. Being together and eating together in a home is different than being and eating together in a restaurant. It's better in a home. It's more intimate. There's a greater sense of closeness when you're together with people in a home. And something powerful happens in that space. But while we were there and after we were there, I was struck by a really obvious and simple observation the night that we had dinner at our friend's house. Because they are married, these friends, they had to be on the same page about inviting us over for dinner. They had to talk about inviting us over ahead of time. They had to coordinate their schedules to some degree. They had to agree that those three or so hours last Monday night were worth it. Right in the midst of their work schedules, family obligations, right in the midst of their own fatigue, right in the midst of their own personal space desires. Oh my goodness, I don't want people over here. You know how that stuff goes. So this simple act of having people over for dinner was something they had to sort through as a married couple 
and decide together if they were going to do it. And you know this as well as I do. Either one of them could squash the idea. And it never would have happened. Hey, how do you feel about having Mike and Julie over on Monday night? Nah, I don't feel real good about that. I mean, there's a game on Monday night. I'm tired. I got a long week ahead. Didn't we just see him yesterday anyway? I don't want to get the house all cleaned up. Are you going to cook? Because I'm not going to do it. Why can't we just meet him at a restaurant? You know how it goes. So we're in a series called Home for the Holidays where we're thinking together about what it looks like for our homes to be one of the places in our lives where mission happens. A woman, uh, writer, woman, leader named Shauna Nyquist writes this. Many of the most deeply spiritual moments of the last year have taken place at the table. It's not actually strictly about food for me. It's about what happens when we come together, slow down, open our homes, look into one another's faces, listen to each other's stories. And in this series, we're talking about our homes, whatever they may be, apartment, house, dorm room, being little kingdom outposts scattered in all these different neighborhoods. Our home, in other words, as one of the key places where kingdom mission happens, a place where friends and family and even strangers who do not know Jesus come together and we sit at the table together and we cultivate relationships in the intimacy of our homes and we pay attention to what God is doing in these gatherings. We learn to trust the Holy Spirit is present and he's at work in these gatherings. He's actually revealing himself to people who do not know him through the love and hospitality that happens in our home. 25 years ago, the neighborhood of Lexington Hills was a half a mile away from 1100 Blue Ravine Road where the Oak Hills campus is located today. Today, for all sorts of reasons, Lexington Hills feels like it's 10 miles away from 1100 Blue Ravine Road and the Oak Hills Church campus. I hope that makes sense to you. The culture is moving away from Christianity and church. You may not realize this, but Christians are moving away from church and finding it unnecessary. So today, those who profess faith in Jesus and those who don't, we just have to admit this, are less likely to come and be part of a local church that has an address on a corner. So we, as Christ ambassadors, are to go to them. And we think one practical way to do this is to recapture our home as a place for mission. And if our home is going to be an outpost for mission, then we have to be on the same page with those we live with. So if we have a spouse or children and they're not interested in our home being a place for mission, then it's going to be quite a challenge. So today, in this series, we're focusing on marriage and how togetherness between a couple is needed if mission is going to happen in our homes. Think about it. It's common sense. If Julie wants our home to be a place of mission and I don't, then it's probably not going to happen or it's not going to happen smoothly. If I want our home to be a place of mission and Julie doesn't, then it's probably not going to happen or if it does, it won't happen smoothly. Amy and Phil just shared a perfect example of togetherness, the togetherness, a married couple needs if their home 
is going to be an outpost for kingdom mission. You heard them as they talk. They're holding values together. They believe that they are there in Walnut Grove because God has them there. They want their home to radiate safety and goodness and peace in a neighborhood where such things may not necessarily be in abundance. But they're on the same page in that thought process. Imagine if Phil went to Amy and said, hey, I'm going to build a box and stick it out in front of our house and call it a prayer box. And she said, you're going to do what? And they didn't agree on the value that's above the action. It won't work. It won't happen. Our scripture reading from the book of Acts might have struck you as a little weird. What's the point of that one? Well, it introduces us to another couple, Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple in the Bible. She is mentioned first because all signs indicate she was the more prominent leader of the two. They met the Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth, and they formed a partnership with him. And Paul stayed, we're told, in their home for 18 months. Then they all up and go to Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila meet this guy whose name is Apollos. And Apollos is following Jesus. He's actually teaching about Jesus. He's trying to introduce other people to Jesus. But he doesn't completely get the story. There's parts of it that he's confused on. So what happens? Priscilla and Aquila, we are told, invite him into their home to talk through the parts of the story where Apollos is confused. And I just love this example of this couple doing ministry together, opening their home for mission together on the same page about what ultimately matters. Priscilla and Aquila connected around shared kingdom values. There's this synergy they have as they live their lives. They are together in valuing the things that matter in the kingdom of God. So for Priscilla and Aquila, their home is a gift to steward for the sake of others. And they share that. So let's talk about the big giant elephant that's in this room right now. Julie and I spent some time on Friday night talking about our home and each of our perspectives on our home as a place for kingdom mission. We sat in our living room. We talked about some ways we might practice hospitality to those who are in our neighborhood. We've lived there for 23 years. We've talked about her work setting. She works as a nurse. She's around people all the time who are outside the faith, do not have much interest in the things of God. We've talked about how we can be present with these folks. We had a great discussion about this. We laughed about some things. We shared some of our apprehensions that we both bring to this discussion. She shared some of the quirks that she has. I shared some of the quirks that I have. And it just strengthened the point. Part of the elephant in the room right now, today, when this topic comes up, is that opening our homes, simple as that sounds, is not easy for some people. I would suggest it's not easy for most people. And if couples are not in this together, it's going to be a real challenge. And it probably won't happen. And we've got to be realistic about it. This is not so force it to happen. It's just making the point, naming the elephant in the room. There's got to be this Priscilla and Aquila kind of connectedness or it's probably not going to work. Here's another part of the big elephant in this room right now. Some of you aren't married. And so this subject might feel like it excludes you, and obviously we don't intend that. We try to be very conscious whenever we talk about marriage because not everybody's married. The big picture, if you're not married, is that you have the opportunity to use your home for mission, for kingdom mission, if you decide you want to do that. 
But I just want to acknowledge that whenever marriage is brought up in the context of a church setting, those who aren't sometimes feel lonely, sometimes feel left out. It can stir up feelings of not belonging or not fitting. And I just want to name that, say that. These are important things for us to keep learning about as a church and for us to keep caring about each other when these things arise. Here's another part of the big elephant in the room. For married couples, the home is a place of mission may be really difficult if not impossible, because one spouse may not share a Christian worldview or commitment like the other one does. And this is true in a number of cases. All the time run into this. So one spouse, they're not even thinking about this kind of thing. And we can't just pretend that that doesn't matter, because it does. So we again, we have to be realistic. Related to this, let's just face this, if a marriage is not doing well, if there's tension if there's friction, if there's not sort of a culture of relationship and working things out, then this idea of mission in the home is not going to happen and maybe shouldn't happen. I mean, we can't get into all this now. This is the beginning of a marriage series that we could spend 10 weeks on. But marriage is complicated. And I want to say sometimes it's hard, but it's probably more accurate to say all the time it's hard or most of the time. And it's hard to be missional in our home when the marriage isn't working so well. And a huge part, one other part, of this giant elephant in the room on this topic is that most couples have different personalities. Sometimes extremely different. I'm sure if you're sitting here today with your spouse, this idea of mission comes up and your personalities are at the front of your mind. And this can be really challenging when it comes to having our homes be a missional outpost. The introvert-extrovert tension kind of goes like this. If I need my personal space and you want a crowd of strangers in the room, we got a problem. And this is going to be tough. One other comment about the elephant in the room. Life is fast. Life is busy. For Julie and I, our kids are grown up and they're on to their own lives. For many of you, that's not the case. Here's the thing, neither Julie or I feel like all of a sudden there's all this extra time for mission. But for those of you with young children, involved in sports, involved in dance, involved in school, all the demands associated with these various endeavors, throw in the dis-ease caused by and sustained by social media, plus 24-7 connectivity, plus your own jobs, and this whole thing gets more complicated and challenging, and the whole thing feels overwhelming. Well, the surest way for us to not do anything about making our home a space for mission is to think of this as one more thing to add to our already jam-packed to-do list. If that's all we're going to do, don't even put it on the list because it will not happen over a sustained period of time. Something deeper than a have-to has to drive this or it won't happen. I would suggest something deeper like, what is the kingdom value of our home? Or does our home even have a kingdom value? Why are we in this neighborhood? Why do we work with these people? If something along the lines of these values does not get into us, then this will be reduced to another thing we're supposed to do and we won't do it. Second thing, I want to talk about this simple idea of having the conversation. That is, husbands and wives having this conversation. That is, stepping toward the elephants in the room you may have around this topic as a couple and talking about these things 
as a couple. And you know this might bring up some conflict and disagreement right to the surface. It probably will. It might reveal things in your relationship that probably need to be revealed. If Julie says to me, hey, I was thinking that we should make be a little more missional in our home. How about if I invite so-and-so over from where I work? I think that would be good. She's going through a rough time. And all I say is, I'm not doing that. I need my space. If that's the end of it, well, what just got revealed there is an issue in our relationship that whether it comes up there or somewhere else, it's there. And we might have to walk into that. So these conversations might bring up conflict and disagreement, might reveal things in the relationship that probably need to be revealed. So it's questions like this. Hey, where are we at with our home being a place for mission? Imagine talking with this to your spouse. Where are we at with our home being a place for mission? How do you feel about that? What does it stir up in you when I suggest we invite somebody over? Let me tell you what it stirs up in me when you suggest we invite so-and-so over. These are wonderful discussions for couples to have. And if I can press that a little harder, I would say they are necessary discussions. If we're going to live true to the kingdom values and ethics we claim to have. So how do we talk together, husbands and wives, as Christ followers who see our home as a gift to steward for the good of the kingdom and for the benefit of others. How do we have that conversation? I did a wedding last weekend up in Lake Tahoe. The couple was in their late 20s. I love this couple very much. One of the verses in their ceremony was Colossians 3 and verse 16. The context is relationships in the church, but I think it has important implications for married couples. Here's what it says. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I don't suggest you sing to each other as husbands and wives. I mean, you can if you want to. But I don't think that's what this is getting at. Let the message of Christ dwell in your marriage as you teach and encourage one another in the way of Christ. Now, it seems to me this is about the culture of a marriage. What we talk about together. What we care about together. What we value together. What we are ultimately about together. That those things we talk about because we're trying to let the message of Christ shape those aspects of our relationship. The, the, as followers of Christ, the message of Christ is to dwell in our relationship or it is to inhabit our relationship. It is to be among us as husbands and wives. It's to shape our values and our ethics in our relationship. And at least part of that, I think, involves conversations about how our home reinforces and incarnates the kingdom values we profess to have. I read somewhere over 50 times in the gospel, we read something like this. Jesus was at the home of fill in the blank. So here's a question for couples, for Julie and I. How does that influence how we think of our home? 50 plus times he's in someone's home and something significant is happening. Does that have anything to say to us, Julie and Mike, about our home 
and how we think of it. So Julie and I believe the following. We believe Jesus is king. The kingdom of God is real. Eternity is real. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. There is no salvation. And we believe the culture is sprinting away from God. So Lexington Hills is 10 miles away today, whereas 25 years ago, it was half a mile away. People who don't know Jesus are missing out on real life and hope and future with him. And Julie and I believe this. As his followers, we have been sent to bring good news to those who need it. We claim to believe these things. In addition, in our neighborhood and in her workplace, and when we are just out and about doing our life, we are constantly interacting with those who do not know Jesus or care to know him. We actually named some names the other night when we were having our Friday night discussion about this. So it seems like these people she interacts with and I interact with should matter to us, given what we claim to believe. And we should be talking about how our home can be a place where kingdom mission happens. People we work with, interact with through our kids' sports, live near, increasingly do not know Jesus. I hope you realize that. Increasingly, the people that you interact with do not know Jesus, do not care about Jesus, and they are increasingly drifting further and further away from having anything to do with what we would call church. But we're there in their lives. So now what? So the message of Christ dwelling among us as a couple seems like it should at least involve talking about these things together. Talking about how our home can be a place of kingdom mission. And this is not easy, as you know. Personalities conflict on this. You get in these conversations, you try to bring this up, and boom, I'm not doing that. Okay. Can we talk about it? Nope, that's it. Done. Over. That's the answer. Okay. I would suggest that rising up beyond my preferences, or Julie's preferences, or my personality tendencies, or her personality tendencies, or your preferences, or your personality tendencies, it seems to me, given what we profess... What rises above all that are the kingdom ethics and values we claim to believe and hold. So let me go back to this conversation Julie and I had the other night. We both work in service fields, around people, pouring out. She's a nurse, I do this. So we're oriented toward others all week long. We come home, we're tired. We talked about our home on Friday night as a fortress. A place to rest, a place to recover, and a place to hide. Some of that's good, I suppose. Some of that's important. Some of that isn't. Some of that is something else. Because at the same time, Jesus is king and Jesus is real. And what I want or think I need when I'm home or she's home cannot be the only shaper of how we think about our home if the message of Christ is going to dwell among us richly as Julie and I process this together. There are people Julie works with in her job as a nurse who are on her mind for various reasons. She thinks about them. She cares about them. Their lives have experienced pain and loss. There is a woman who has cut my hair for over 20 years. She's married. She has three young children. I've had many discussions with her about matters of faith. She and her family have zero religious background, or interest, she's on my mind whenever this comes up. Her family is on our mind. 
So does our home have anything to do with the people that are on our mind? Is that something Julie and I should care about? Talk about? Do something about? We talked about this the other night. Why don't we invite one of your friends, I said to her, over here to dinner. And the minute it left my mouth, I'm going, reel that back in. Because there's going to be a game on. I know there will be the night that they come over. Invite people to dinner. Not to sell them a bill of religious goods. It's exactly what Phil and Amy were talking about. To be present with them. To be with them. And here's the key. To trust that when we're with them and we're open, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God is present there. And he's already working in their lives. He's doing this to them. They may be running from him, but he's trying to draw them to himself. You have people in your life for whom this is true. The temptation is to shut the front door and the garage door and watch football or read or watch our favorite show. But I'm struck by the question, is this how Jesus would be if he lived where I live? Let's talk about identifying the missional leader in your home. I think this is important. Priscilla, it seems, was the missional leader in the Priscilla and Aquila relationship. She's named first more often than not, which is an unusual recognition in a first century patriarchal culture where men are in charge of everything. I'm speculating a bit here, but maybe she was the one that initiated Paul's 18-month stay at their home. Hey, Aquila, I just want to let you know I invited Paul to live with us for 18 months. You did. What? Now, maybe he didn't. But it's possible he rolled his eyes, dreaded the whole thing, saw it as an intrusion. Maybe Priscilla initiated inviting this Apollos over to the house to talk about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Here's what I'm suggesting. Probably one spouse is more oriented toward mission than the other. Let me be more direct. Julie is better at this than I am. Her missional instincts are more aligned with the kingdom than mine are. It's interesting to listen to Amy and Phil talk about their neighborhood. Go back a few weeks ago, Rachel Barkey was up here talking about her neighborhood. You know what you start noticing when you start thinking about what's going on in these neighborhoods? What's going on with people that we know? One of the common things that's a characteristic over and over again these days is there's conflict. Or there's tension. Or there's a fracture. Or there's friction. Or there's differences. Or there's division. Seem odd? Or not, that we are reconciled people, that God has reconciled us to himself and sent us out to be a reconciling presence in an increasingly divided, fractured, and splitting world? That doesn't seem coincidental to me. So we've had conflict in our neighborhood. Julie has walked right into the conflict with her hand on my wrist, dragging me right into it as well, to be a reconciling presence. You might remember the first Sunday of this series was Halloween, and Sunday nights she goes to youth group, she volunteers in the youth group, and I'm... <laughs> We're going to start fining people for these random woos. That's 20 cents. No, it wasn't random, because that was in, in, in honor of my dearly beloved wife. So, well done. So, first Sunday of this series is Halloween. Sunday night she's at youth group, and I'm tired. So, Halloween, Sunday night, it's real simple. I'm going to put a bowl of candy out in front of the door. I'm going to shut the door and lock it, 
I'm going to say, take as much as you want. I'm going to glance at it now and then, pull it back in when it's empty, and that'll be the end of it. When, the do- when someone knocks on the door after that, I just sit with the game on mute and watch it and don't answer it. Sunday night. She happened to be sick that day. So she wasn't going to youth group, and she listened to my sermon online, and the sermon was on place and about being present where we are and trusting God is doing something. (laughs) You know where this is heading. I kid you not. I wasn't back to my seat after that message, and she had sent a text, and this was the gist of the text. Hey, I know this is going to push you outside your comfort zone, but I think it would be good in light of what you said today if you went to the store and got some candy and planned to sit out front tonight when the kids come and you can greet their families and just be there. I'm not feeling well or I'd do it with you. <laughs> you know what my first thought was? We are never live streaming a service again. <laughs> but you know something? She was absolutely right. Because she's the missional leader in our house. Her instincts on this are usually right. Certainly more right than mine are. She's the missional leader. She's one of my missional mentors. So that night, I went to the store after church. I got this candy. I sat out front. I had the bowl right there. I had the lights on. I was my warm, fuzzy self. People were walking around. I was engaging them in conversation. I will admit I had my computer there and the game was on it. But you can only take small steps at a time. (laughs) But I had a wonderful time outside, being present, interacting. I had a long conversation with one of the neighbors. And Julie's instincts were right, as long as I was willing to follow. So here's the point. I have to let Julie lead on this and be committed to following her lead instead of arguing about it. Because she's usually right. And I think in some marriages, maybe most, I don't know, one person is probably the mission mentor, the missional leader. And I would suggest the other learn how to submit to that leader and go along with it and trust it is a good thing, even if it is a disruptive thing. Well, I want to just say one more thing, and then we're gonna, I'm going to wrap up. And that is to start small with this. Part of why all the elephant in the room talk is because we have to be realistic. And we've got to start small. Just really, really small. People that we know who are outside the faith and don't have much interest in God or who Jesus is, it could be as simple as, hey, Julie works with them, would you like to come to dinner someday? Hey, would you like to go out to eat sometime? Whatever it might be, but our home as mission, if we're ever going to get anywhere, we got to start small, be realistic, and be okay with it. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for uh, this day and for what we're reflecting on in this series. And it strikes me that all around this room, there are people who live in all sorts of different places, apartments, dorm rooms, homes, with others, by themselves. And you have placed us in these places. And there are people around us who do not know you. And I simply pray that you will give us the vision and the power and the insight and an awareness of the Holy Spirit that we might be alert to what he's doing and that you will give us courage and you will give us the words and you will give us the ideas 
that we might demonstrate, manifest, open our lives, open our homes, and be present with people who are seeking after you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.